Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Nan Su, a senior investigative reporter with the Epic Times, and today's topic, the Chinese Communist Party and the ongoing threat to America. Nansu, thank you for joining us today on The Shilling Show Unleashed. Oh, good morning. Thank you for having me today. I would like to start here because I think it's a critical point for us to discuss. Is the Chinese Communist Party an enemy of the United States of America? Yes, the answer is actually yes. And it's not only the enemy to the United States, it's the enemy to humanity. I mean, if you look at the entire history of mankind, there's no anything that posed a bigger threat than the Chinese Communist Party to peace and humanity. So why is it so hard for us, or why do we not as a nation acknowledge the fact that you just stated? Because I don't hear it coming from the president or anybody else, really. Well, you know, our China policy has been going on in the wrong direction, you know, for almost half century, ever since Henry Kissinger visited Beijing in 71. You know, just look, looking back to the history, just looking back to history, in the last century, uh, the United States leading the free war, you know, dealing with the communist war in two different ways. One way was how we dealt with the Soviet Union, Basically, we we did an entire Cold War, like 40 years with the communist war, eventually drove the Soviet Union into economic collapse. But however, there's another way we deal with communist countries, so that's the China way. So we, we basically throw tons and tons and tons of money, like 2022, the total U.S. direct investment, I mean cash investment in China, was like a, up to close to $120 billion. The entire Western world was like hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars invested into uh, communist China, invested into Chinese Communist Party with a rosy picture that we are thinking when we make in, enough investment, we gave Communist Party enough money, eventually they will change their mind mm. and they will all of a sudden uh, political reform, eventually they will become one part of the democratic war. Well, just looking back at the comparison of the two different ways of dealing with communist nations. Think about this. During the Cold War time, the Western war keeps throwing hundreds of billions of dollars to Soviet Union. Will Soviet Union ever have a political reform and ever actually come up with a political reform leader like Gorbachev. So if we do the comparison, the answer is there. It's our rosy picture. It's we believe a wrong thing that actually lead us to the situation that's really facing us. 
you mentioned this uh, this tremendous amount of money that's being invested, as you put it, into the Chinese Communist Party and uh, Chinese government. So tell us how that manifests. In, in what way? Is that economic, that we're doing trade with them, or are there other ways that money is being transferred? Basically, it's our, our China policy opened the floodgate. And then all these big corporates, they go, they, you know, they all went to China. Everyone tried to make a few bucks. In our country, we, we believe in freedom. So we, once we open the floodgate, once the policymakers, they, they don't have a clear mind in their head about the possible threat that's out there from the Chinese Communist Party. Then we open the floodgate, then all the investment went to China. And eventually what we found out was we're not changing them. They're not doing the political reform that we have been expecting, but, other, but it's other, other way around. Just look at all these corporations, NBA, Hollywood, I mean, all these high-tech corporations. So what, what they have done in China, I mean, they gave technology, they gave their money, they gave everything. And we welcome China. They sell everything to us. They come here, take one industry. We're not talking about taking one job after another. I'm talking about one industry after another from us. And then result is we have become weaker and weaker and the Communist Party becomes stronger and stronger. If we keep making a Communist Party stronger and stronger every day, they will never have political reform that we thought about. So what is the option for the United States of America? We have such a tremendous reliance on Chinese production, everything from medicine to electronic components and so forth. How do we change that reliance? What's the path we should be on? Well, the supply chain and, and technology, this is too key here. We need to add immediately. Eventually, I mean, a decouple, it, eventually it's, it's a good choice, but there is a this principle of freedom here, we kind of like uh, tied ourselves by our own freedom. We can't say take away people's freedom once in, you know you let people have it. You can't just uh, you just go there and say hey you cannot do it. So so first of all, technology and supply chain uh, security. I mean, if you think about all, all our medicines, most of our medicines in the U.S. use and the entire West are using is from China. So we need to relocate those supply chain out of China and all the technology, immediate the legislation. This need to be done yesterday, but has not been done yet. It's to really limit the U.S. investment, to the, put a stop on the U.S. investment into China's high-tech industry. Anything related to high-tech, you cannot allow our investment. If anybody wants to go to China to invest in the high-tech industry, that's no different than killing our future generation. It's like you're making a few bucks from China, but then you put out the lifestyle of entire future generation in the risk. What is the true state of the Chinese economy? It, it certainly looks good on paper, but what is really happening behind the scenes? And do we know? Uh, we don't know. And also, and also, this is one key. China right now, because uh, ever since 2016, 
the U.S. Po- uh, policymakers, as actually as well as our administration, already start you know they they start realizing these problems. So the policy has been changing, but just not quick enough. But however, with the past few years of policy, our China policy change, China already see growing economic problems. There's three things, three challenges facing the communist regime right now. Number one, it's their the U.S. investment. It's a lot of them actually leaving China. But a part of this, you know, it's not really because. Our policy change. A part of this is just China's, you know, Communist Party's strict zero COVID policy. So that's like inhumane. And a part of them is because their labor prices are also going up. Now this is U.S. investment leaving China, and also China's real estate, you know, uh, really it's sinking. And number three, it's China's exporting business. It's going down too. So this is a three major challenges are facing that country uh, realistically. But however, we don't try to use the way we look at the Western economy to look at China. Now think about this. So if we do that, we actually underestimate their threat, the level of threat. Think about that. During the 1958 to 1961, it's called Great Leap Forward, that movement under Chairman Mao. China had like more than uh, 40 million people die in famine. 40 million is like a equal to like a seven or eight percent of total population at that time of China. If you look at the United States Western world, I, I don't want to say like a seven, a six or seven percent of people dying. Just say half a percent or one percent people die. You already see the economy collapse. That's how we consider things because we have humanity here. But in China, you don't see that kind of a collapse of a regime. So we don't try to underestimate that. However, we are seeing that the, you know, the turnaround of China policy really start making impact in China, but it's just not enough. So we're seeing the things happening in Taiwan Strait, the Chinese Communist regime. Just say last month, second half of December, they are doing military, like a naval drill on the east side of Japan, like within 550 miles from Okinawa and within 500 miles from Guam. What are they doing there on December 21st? The Chinese naval fighter jet approaching a U.S. reconnaissance uh, plane and that area, it's like a, the closest distance from that two airplane was like less than 20 feet. So why are they doing all these things? Clearly, they are preparing a war against us. We, we just have to do, do things a lot quicker, you know, in order to protect our, our future generation's lifestyle. You mentioned population. It was recently reported, and again, I don't know the veracity of the information, that there's been a significant population drop in China for the first time in many decades. What does that mean going forward for China and for their internal policies? Keep in mind, you know, we shouldn't use the way that we look in the, uh, everywhere around the world to look at China. They have a lot of ways to manipulate uh, what people is doing, uh, how people are living their uh, daily life. Uh, so they, China already come up with a lot of policies to encourage people to 
increase the birth rate. And also, this COVID, it hit them really hard. But, you know, still, it's a central plant economy. Once their economy opens up, then they can turn things around quickly. And at that point, it's really up to the U.S. policymakers. The policymakers in the entire Western world really decide what they need to do. It's not like uh, here in the United States, if they you want, we want to pa- pass any legislation or a regulation, we take years, right? Over there, all you take is Chairman Xi a phone call. So they, they just switch from left and right all the time uh, for whatever it fits to uh, stabilize the ruling power of the Communist Party. I'm glad that the U.S. Congress just established a CCP competition. Mm. You know, they they want to compete with the specific to Chinese Communist Party, not China. So that committee, it's really need to be established a long, long time ago. I mean, think about that. The Chinese Communist Party has nine hundred more than nine hundred million members. That's like a more than a lot of countries' total population. So you really need to focus the Chinese Communist Party, the behavior and what it's doing, how it's going to impact the future generation of uh, of the free world. You mentioned this new committee in the House of Representatives. What is their specific task here, and what could we expect as an outcome? Is this just a report, or will we see action? We hope there are some actions that come up there. You know, it's got a bipartisan support. I hope that they will get something done instead of uh, lip service. You know, we'll just need to closely watching what they are doing. But I think the public awareness is very important that, uh, you know, to to be aware of the escalating uh, level of threat from China. Now think about that, why China is keeps threatening they want to take Taiwan because we are way behind them. You know, they are thinking Japan now because taking control of Taiwan is taking control of the entire South China Sea. You know, one third of Japan's economy really depends on uh, foreign trade because Japan is an island nation. So control South China Sea will control the lifeline of Japan's economy and also will really put China holding an upper hand in the competition against the United States as, you know, when it comes to the influence to the Southeast Asia countries. That is what they are wanting. The Southeast Asia country is right now called by the Chinese communist leader, the backyard garden of the regime, because this is the that 11 countries over there. It's, it's the largest trading partner with China uh, superseding EU as well as the United States. And so they want to control the Southeast Asia. They want to put a threat to Japan. And also, once they control uh, the South China Sea, you know, the next thing they really look at is Australia, the, another important ally of the United States. You know, they are doing all this all these years while the United States is sleeping. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast continues with Nan Su in just a moment. Shilling Show Unleashed. 
BorderHawk.News is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The BorderHawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. BorderHawk.News highlights national and international media reports, tweets and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. BorderHawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. BorderHawk.News will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark BorderHawk.News. Add them on social media at BorderHawkNews on Twitter. Get your fix. Shilling Show Unleashed. We return on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Our guest is Nan Su, senior investigative reporter at the Epic Times. We're talking about the Chinese Communist Party and this ongoing threat to America. So you mentioned Taiwan. I'd love to talk about the relationship of the United States to Taiwan and the conflicting positions we've heard from the Biden administration regarding whether or not we would defend Taiwan in the event of an attack by the Chinese Communists. This is really a very important issue. We already talked about why, you know, they're going after Taiwan. It's really because they are going after South China Sea. All these years we have this, because the wrong direction of our China policy has been going, now we have this uh, strategic ambiguity uh, as a part of our China policy dealing with Taiwan. A lot of people, the United States government as well as the, the, our American publics is really confused between the U.S. one-China policy and China's so-called one-China principle. Now, they all come up to talk about, uh, to talk, uh, we hear, and uh, we are confused between the two. There's a fundamental difference between the U.S. government's one-China policy and the China's one-China principle. So China's one-China principle, it's the regime's stand. That basically means Taiwan is a part of China. But however, the United States one-China's policy is totally different. That basically, that basically means when the U.S.-China established the, uh, its formal diplomatic relation, United States say we're not going to establish formal diplomatic relation with Taiwan. That's it. But we are not. We never agree that Taiwan is part of China. Uh, if you go back to, to read the three communiques signed between United States and China, which are the fundamental principle of U.S.-China uh, relationship, it clearly said we acknowledge, the United States government acknowledge what Chinese government believe that Taiwan is a part of China. What happens at that time, you know, because Taiwan and China has two governments. Taiwan at the time believed China is a part of Taiwan's government. And China's government believed Taiwan should be controlled by the Chinese government. So they two fight. So United States step back, say, we're not going to end the fight. We're not recognize either of you. You know, it's a reality. Either of you, it's able to control the other part. So. 
it's not our business. We acknowledge the stand, you know, of both sides, but we decide we only, we know we are not recognized any either one. So United States has never, never agree that Taiwan is a part of a China. It's really clear. And also, it's very important, it's super important, the United States did not make that promise to China without any condition. You know, there's a condition. The condition is, you know, in order for United States not to build up a formal diplomatic relation with Taiwan, now, China also promised United States they're not going to use military force to solve the issue between Taiwan and China. We, we have seen the Chinese military drill all around Taiwan, and they are sending their uh, airplanes across the um, midline of Taiwan Strait, approaching Taiwan day and night with all that kind of uh, provocative actions from Chinese military. They already completely breached the three communicates signed between the United States and China. I mean, formally, I mean, if you, you will ask me, it, it's already to the point we should stop our diplomatic relation. We should call our U, U.S. ambassador back from China, like what Trump did. I mean, because they already totally breached the fundamentals between U.S. and China. Why should we still try to recognize the relation? So that's 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 what's facing us. But now, you know, uh, for the purpose of peace, you know, we have to keep the relation going on. But however, we should quickly build up the strengths, the military strengths of ourselves as well as Taiwan and Japan. You know, it's the country. They already realized that. I'm not sure if you see Japan already recently, they have a, a military drill, you know, the J- Japanese uh, military already, you know, conducted the drill, military drill with the United States, with the UK, with Germany, with with Australia. This year, 2023, they increased their military uh, defense budget more than 26%. And they are really seeing what's coming from the communist China. While we, I think, you know, the U.S. government needs to do a lot more and, you know, do things a lot quicker to build up our military strength. You mentioned the military strength. How is the United States now comparing, particularly in naval strength versus China? We used to be ahead, and I'm not sure that's the case anymore. Well, you know, the Congress already have a report, like two years old report that basically say the U- U.S. Uh, Navy has less battle force ship than China's naval force. So they already have more ships over there. Uh, keep in mind, you know, if we want to protect Taiwan, see, protecting Taiwan in the way of build up Taiwan's military strength, it's much cheaper than sending our naval fleet to Taiwan Strait because Taiwan itself, if you don't build up Taiwan's strength and then you use our naval force to go there to fight against the Chinese Navy, it's like you, you probably need to build our uh, naval five or six times bigger, uh, our naval force five, six times bigger. But while you spend money to invest 
in building strength into Taiwan's military. So it's much cheaper, actually. But however, you know, we also need to quickly build up uh, the military base, Guam and Japan, our airline, you know, with Australia, the entire Indo-Pacific strategy. Now, the, there's a U.S., there's a Indo-Pacific strategy. To just go to the White House uh, website, it basically states, you know, Indo-Pacific region, which extended from the countries around Indian Ocean all the way to the coastline, uh, of the Western states in the United States. And this is the region called Indo-Pacific region. And this is the region that encompasses half of the world's total population and two-thirds of the world's total economy. And that's why the Indo-Pacific uh, strategy called this region the world's center of gravity. And guess who is threatening the peace and stability of this center of world's gravity. It's China. And this strategy was not even started by the United States think tanks. It was started by Zinzo Abe, the, the prime minister of Japan, who was just assassinated yes. uh, a few months ago. Now, And he started thinking about this strategy, Indo-Pacific strategy, back in 2007, just one year prior to Beijing 2008 Olympic. You know, think about it. When the whole world was see the miracle performance of Beijing Olympic, you know, the, the Japanese prime minister at that time, he was thinking the threat from China. So he, see, he saw things way earlier, you know, than everyone else. So that's, you know, what's happening over there. People, when countries like South Korea, Taiwan, Japan, they're, they're really close to China. They feel the threat much earlier. Finally, Nan, is there any hope that this will be resolved internally through an uprising or some sort of a change in, of internal governance in China? Or is this going to be a problem that needs to be solved by the rest of the world in coordination with each other? We don't know what's going to happen. Right. We don't know, you know, of course, if Chinese people choose to, you know, rise up and solve their own problem, just like Soviet Union people did, which is good, uh, you know, but how can we count on that? Right. One thing is we already talk about if we keep throwing, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars to the regime and when the regime has the money, I, I don't think we can actually reach reasonably just expect that then they will change. Build up the strength is the, is the first. If we, you know, build up the strength, so regardless of what's going to happen inside China, then we at least have appropriate security measures that's out there to keep the lifestyle of our future generation in a safer place instead of counting on, you know, what's going to happen in China. So I think it's, you know, our legislators need to really uh, quickly think about how to protect our technology, uh, how to protect uh, the security of our supply chain. All these things need to move forward immediately. We really have no time to lose. Nansu, if people want to read your work online and follow your investigations, tell us where they can find you. 
Uh, well, go to the epochtimes.com. That's E-P-O-C-H. Some, someone pronounced it as epoch. Someone pronounced it as epic. It's just a Canadian way or, or American way to pronounce those that word differently. So epochtimes.com, just one word, or go to ireadepoch, ireadepoch.com. On our front page, if you go to the epochtimes.com, there's a movie called The Final War. The Final War is the name of a movie just released by Epoch Times. So you talk about the 100-year plot of the Chinese Communist regime. Ever since they took over control of China in 1949, they have the 100-year plot to take down the United States, the leader of the free world. Nansu, thank you so much for joining us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. I certainly hope the policymakers are listening. Thank you for having me today. That concludes another edition of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time. <laughs>